going to take me just a second to get set up. Um, but, uh, sorry, I, I should have turned to here while I was over there. I'm sitting here listening to all these announcements. I'm like, yeah, those are, I like the groups and everything. Um, but I really hope that uh, you will get involved with one of these groups or more. Um, our groups are awesome. They are every semester. And uh, if, you, if you need, uh, if, if it, none of those sounded good to you, we'd love for you to come join our Sunday night prayer group at least. You know, that would be awesome. We always have a great time with that as well. Uh, but uh, as you can tell, Pastor Lynn is in Colorado. He's with family. He's enjoying the time there, being pretty busy, uh, keeping up with all of his grandkids' activities and stuff. But we wish him well, me, her, him and Miss Brenda. And uh, I, hope, I just hope they have a great rest of their time there. He's coming in later this week. But um, I want to start off by saying this. I believe, uh, I've been thinking a lot about 2024. And as I have, uh, even coming into the new year, I couldn't get away from this phrase and kind of this idea. And the idea is this of a word called consecration. Um, if you don't know what consecration is, uh, to put it simply, it's kind of like a cutting away, a purifying, you know, trimming the fat of your life, um, cutting off those things so that you can um, be more holy or more like God. And so, you know, a, a New Testament word for that or that we say now is like sanctification, you know, becoming more and more like God. And I think uh, the only way to do that is to cut certain things out of your life. So uh, that's what I want to focus on this morning. Before I do, I got a couple of images I want to show you on the screen here. Um, and just tell me what you think, you know, as, as they're coming up, right? All right. Isn't that a nice picture? I took that the other day. I'm just kidding. I didn't take that. Um, but, uh, you know, is anybody hungry this morning? There we go. Look at the cheese on that pizza. I mean, come on now. Is it? Now, some buffalo wings. This is what gets me on the commercials. I see these things dipped in the sauce and everything. It just uh, really, really sticks out to me. If anybody likes some chocolate cake, chocolate in general, I hear some stomachs. And then, of course, you got the Starbucks drinks. If, uh, these are the bougie ones. So, you know, they're not like the normal, just black coffee, but... Uh, but I wanted to get you a little hungry this morning, uh, but to, to start you off a little bit. But I want to ask you this question as well. How often do you tell yourself no? Okay. To simple things. How often when you have a craving for something, maybe you crave ice cream or you crave macaroni and cheese or you crave hopefully not McDonald's. I'm just kidding. But, you know, like you crave certain restaurants. How often do you like... I know I can afford it, and I know I have time to go there, but you know what? No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to drink sweet tea. I'm going to drink water. I'm not going to drink Diet Coke. I'm going to drink, you know, something healthy. How often, when you really want something, do you tell yourself no? For me, one of the hardest things to say no to is candy, okay? Uh, I have three kids, two of them that eat candy all the time. Well, not, they don't eat candy all the time, but they get candy all the time. There's all these, you would be surprised how much stuff in the year happens where they come home with candy, and uh, it's enough to where they can't eat it all at once, so guess who sees it sitting on the counter, sitting you know, in jars or whatever else. It's very hard to say no. But um, a couple years back, we asked our kids to say no to something. I want you to check out this video and see how they did. 
So there's some candy in the bowls there. So um, um, if I was a betting man and Jamie was not there, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that candy would have been gone. (laughs) But I've titled today's message, Crave, Crave. Got some scriptures on the the screen there. You can look them up. I hope you can see them. I meant to make them a little bit bigger, but I apologize for that. Uh, Pull out your binoculars if you need them. Uh, But we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 16. Let me tell you a little bit about the background. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I do want to read one verse here in just a minute. But a little background. In the beginning of the chapter, the Pharisees demand a sign from Jesus. They say, give us a sign to let us basically know that you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, there's no sign going to be given this generation except the sign of Jonah. You know, the three days and three nights. Um, What they wanted was they saw the healings, they saw some of the miracles, but they wanted some kind of cosmic sign, something from heaven to come down, like fire from heaven to come down or something so they could validate who Jesus was. But he scolded them for that. And then Jesus is with his disciples. They're in a boat. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They're like, why is he talking about bread? We don't have bread. They didn't really understand what he was talking about. And they get off the boat, and Jesus asks his disciples again, who do people say I am? And uh, finally, Peter steps up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's like, good job. Because you said that, and because you know this, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's a lot lot of dialogue here in this chapter. And then Jesus tells them, I must suffer and be killed. To which Peter says, no, you won't. To which Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Your mind is on things of the earth while I'm trying to talk about heavenly things. And he, after saying all these things, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, in which Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In Luke's gospel, He says the same thing, but he adds a word. In Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and come after me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And Lord, I pray that uh, each of us can look inside of our heart, inside of our life. Help us to allow the sword of the scripture to cut away things. It shouldn't be there. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually and help us to be changed today. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. We get told no a lot in life. Matter of fact, I looked up some statistics. Anybody want to take a guess at how much a toddler gets told no every day? Okay. On average, a toddler gets told no 400 times a day. (laughs) Any toddler parents in the house, you know what I'm talking about. No, 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 no. Now, on a more broad range, a survey of 2,000 parents of ages, children ages 1 to 16, okay, so a little bit longer, uh, they revealed that they reject their kids' request or their questions an average of 23 times a day. They tell them no or no. That's 8,395 times a year. No, you cannot have that sugar. No, you cannot stay up late. No, you cannot watch TV. You can't watch that movie. No, you can't fight your sister. No, you can't do this. No, you can't go over to their house. Please, no. Please, no. Please, no. (laughs) So, oftentimes when we can say yes, guess what we say? We say yes, right? People tell us no our whole life. And then oftentimes, especially when we get to adults, we just say yes, because we can do it. We will do it. But one thing that sticks out to me about Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and I'm going stick, to stick on this one section here, this, word, this phrase, deny yourself. Jesus said, if anyone would come to me, he must deny himself. And what does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? Glad you asked. It means to turn yourself away, to disown yourself. It means giving up certain earthly joys and selfish gratification. Denying yourself, much like taking up your cross, should not be a one-time event. We think about it like, oh yeah, I know I have to deny myself to come to Jesus. I denied myself. I came to Jesus. I'm good. But no, I think it should be a daily thing, much like taking up your cross and following him. But what are the benefits of saying no? What are the benefits of telling ourselves no? Well, I got uh, three passages that I want to show you throughout Scripture. And what I want to do is show you uh, one of the many ways in which Scripture weaves itself throughout the whole book. Okay, To give you an idea of just how woven Scripture is from front to back and how much um, it kind of... emphasizes different scriptures and uh, references different things. Uh, Check out this picture that I found. Some of you may have seen this before. But on here, we have uh, cross-references in scripture. And you see how one passage will reference another. That's kind of how the lines go. And the greater the line, the more those passages are referenced. And so in here, we see over 65,000 cross-references in which one scripture references another scripture. It's pretty incredible, right? Would you say that the Bible is pretty connected? You know, 40 authors, three continents, you know, a uh, couple thousand years it was written, that type of thing. You know, I would say that, um, yeah, it was, it was written uh, pretty uh, divinely, if you will. So these three passages, I'm going to start with 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Uh, This one I'll read out of the NIV, the other one's uh, ESV. So this says, do not love the world 
or anything in the world. Now, should we really not love anything in the world? <laughs> Is it really saying that? <laughs> like, I can't love my wife, can't love cake, can't love my church. Like, what are we saying here? Do not love the world or anything in the world. Well, I'm glad he explains this. So. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is, so now he's explaining what he means. <laughs> Don't love the world. What does that mean? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God loves forever. These three things sum up our, like in total, our earthly desires uh, in this world. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we say no to these things. So I made you a a little bit of a graph here uh, or some definitions of these three things. What are these three things? First off, what is lust? That's not something we ever really use except for in scripture, right? I mean, you have conversations with people and like use that word. I know I don't. But lust is basically an intense desire for something. The lust of the flesh, what's the lust of the flesh? It's the desire to do something based on your body's desires. So like your body is hungry. So guess what you want to do? You want to eat. Your your body's thirsty. What do you want to do? You want to drink. Your body's tired. So what do you want to do? Sleep. All right. All these things, all the the desires of the body cause you want to do something. That's the lust of the flesh. If your uh, desire is great enough, you're going to do those things. If you're angry, you might cuss somebody out. (laughs) You might get in a fight. You may do things that you know you should not do. Say things you shouldn't say. That's the flesh. What about the eyes? What is the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes is the desire to have stuff based on what you see. It is selfishness. It is greed. It is, oh, I have a car, but I see a better car. I want that. I have a house, but I see a better house. I want that. I see those clothes. I have clothes, but I want better clothes. I see these things. I want these things. And so I'm going to get these things. It's a desire to have. What is the pride of life? The pride of life, and I emphasize these words, do have, it is a desire to be somebody of status or recognition, seeking the approval of others. So outlaid here in 1 John, we see that this is what the desires of the world is, these three things. We crave these things. And so we go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The devil tempts us in a lot of different ways. He tries to pull us away from God in a lot of different ways, but it's really all the same. And I want to show you that. We're going to go back to the very first time that we see uh, the devil mentioned in Scripture, which if you're part of my Sunday school class, see, I like to uh, give uh, some uh, questions about stuff like this to see, you know, how much their biblical knowledge is. But um, we actually never know that the serpent is the devil. It never says it. You, You can go read Genesis. There's no mention of the devil about being the serpent all the way till you get to the last book of the Bible in Revelation. So, uh, interesting to note, but we do know it now, so that's how we're going to read it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God did say you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so verse six is where I want to highlight for you guys. I want you to see if you can see this as I read it. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. There was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some of her husband who was with her and he ate. Did you catch what was in there? There's three things in there. Verse six, it says the food was good. She was hungry. She wanted something to eat. The food was good. It also looked, okay, a delight to the eyes. So not only was she hungry for food, she saw this food, she wanted to have that, that, right? Now, what did God say that she could have? Every other fruit in the garden. How many fruits were there? Man, who knows? But I'm sure it was a pretty big garden. I'm sure there was a lot of fruit. This is the one fruit she couldn't have, but it, she was hungry. It looked good and... She wanted to be, she desired to be wise. She desired to be like God. God was good. He was an awesome dude, right? Walking in the garden with him every day. And her desire was to be not content with who she was. She wanted to be like him. She wanted to have wisdom like him. She had pride in her life. So from the beginning, we see these three things uh, at work. With humanity, this is what caused the fall of creation. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So let's go to Jesus's life. We don't know of any time, uh, we, we're not, I don't think there's a recorded temptation of Jesus until right after his baptism. After his baptism, he goes into the wilderness led by the spirit of God for 40 days. Okay, and during that 40 days, maybe at the end, Maybe Darren, we're not exactly sure because uh, depending on which version you read uh, or which gospel you read, um, could have been at the end, could have been during the time. But anyways, we know at least three of the temptations that the devil came with. The first one was the temptation to turn stone into bread. Okay. Now, I don't know how long, the longest amount of time you've been without food, but if you go 40 days without eating, Again, you're not hungry, you're hungry. It changes there, all right? Like, there's an O in there. Um, so you, you can imagine, like, uh, that was Jesus' greatest desire at the time, was to eat. Uh, and so the devil says, hey, turn this stone to bread. If you truly are the son of God, do it. And Jesus' response was, um, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, is what he said. This is what it is written. So the devil comes again, second temptation. Hey, you know what? Uh, he shows them, uh, scripture says there in Luke chapter four, uh, also in Matthew chapter four, if you wanna follow along with me, but he shows them all the kingdoms of the world in an instant, okay? I don't know how this happened, but the devil was able to do it. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, you can have this. It's been given to me. I can give it to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord and serve him only. Now the temptation there was for Jesus to cheat. 
Because Jesus was gonna be king over all one day. The devil is trying to give it to him early without the cross. He said, you know what? I know that you know what's gonna happen in your life. I know that you know that you're gonna suffer, but I can give it all to you now. It can all be yours if you'll bow down and worship me. But again, what did Jesus do? He used scripture. The third thing, devil took him to the top of the, the pinnacle of the temple. He said, throw yourself down. These angels will catch you. You won't even strike your foot against this stone. Can't you call down a couple thousand legions of angels and they'll save you? And Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, if he would have thrown himself off the temple, how many people would have saw it? Yeah, I mean, you telling me people wouldn't have seen a couple thousand angels come down to save Jesus? They would have saw it. They would have saw that he was the Messiah. This is the sign that they were looking for, that he was the king, that he was the son of God. He could have proved himself that day. But what did Jesus actually do in his life? When demons said, hey, you're the holy one, you're the son of God, he said, shut up, get out of there, <laughs> right? When people, whenever he healed people, a lot of times he said, look, don't, don't tell people. I don't want people knowing that I'm the Messiah quite yet. You know, I want to be, I want people to come to me, not for what I can do for them, but because who God is. And so that was the, the, the same three temptations that we see in the Garden of Eden. It's the same temptations. The devil has come against Jesus. It's the same three temptations that he comes against each one of us. So my question is, what do you crave? Jesus spent 40 days denying his flesh, but growing in his hunger for the presence and purpose of God. So I'm gonna conclude with this. It's gonna be a little bit of a longer conclusion, but I am concluding. Why am I telling you this? Why does it matter? So what? Now that I know these things, I wanna to talk to you a little bit about fasting. Ooh, you see that coming? I wanna to talk to you, hold up on those, uh, Tucker, for me for just a minute. Um, why do we fast and why does it matter? Discipline is not punishment, it's training. My nature is not to fast. My nature is not to want to go without food. But prayer is the posture of the humble and fasting adds fuel to the fire of prayer. What is fasting not? Let's talk about that first. Fasting is not a diet. It's not a weight loss program. It's not manipulating the hand of God. It's not prying wisdom from God. It's not making your face look so sad because you're having to do this thing and everybody feels sorry for you. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that you can't tell anybody. I mean, like if I'm fasting, I need to tell my wife. Um, you can think about it this way. How do we know that Jesus fasted for 40 days? None of his disciples were with him. He was by himself. I think he talked about it, right? Um, but that doesn't mean we should go around t telling everybody what we're doing. But... Why should we fast and what does it do? Well, um, I have eight reasons that I got from Pastor Manny Arango. I got these eight. Uh, if you ever thought about it, like why, why should we fast? And a lot of times you could probably only give one or two answers, but I'm gonna give you eight reasons why I'm gonna encourage you to do a fast or to give up, consecrate yourself, to give up things in your life in order to grow closer to God and be able to fulfill the purpose that he's called you. So you can put them up now. Eight reasons here. Number one is mourning. 
Now, I know like, you're like, that's a strange number one. Like, why would I fast during morning? It's actually uh, several times, I got the scripture references there uh, in Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and a few others. Uh, anytime that they were in time of mourning, they would actually fast in order to uh, get comfort and healing from God. And so if you've ever gone through a time of grief, if you've ever gone through a time where it's just hard, like fasting is actually a good thing to do in order to uh, get comfort from the Lord. Number two is repentance, which I know you're like, wait, repent and fast? Like what? But that's what they did. First Samuel 7, 4 through 6, Nehemiah 9. Uh, think about in Jonah. Y'all know the story of Jonah. When he's going out preaching, repent or else you're going to be destroyed. What did they do? They actually called the whole nation to fast as they repented to the Lord. So uh, sometimes that we get in spots in our life where we just need to say, God, I've messed up. Lord, I've done this. I bring this before you. And you know what? As I'm doing this, I'm going to fast. Number three, spiritual preparation. We see that with Jesus in the desert. Jesus started fasting before he got tempted. <laughs> he was preparing for what was next. He was also preparing for ministry. I remember them telling me this in Bible college, like, before you go and just be a pastor, like you need to be prepared. You don't need to just on a whim, just go, right, well, I'm just going to go. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert, fasting and praying, saying no to his flesh, no to his eyes, no to the pride and saying yes to the things of God. So that whenever he started his ministry, he started out well. Spiritual preparation. Um, also, um, a lot of times God will call you to, a, like it may be in your spirit to fast and you don't know why you're fasting, but God is preparing you for something that's going to happen. Something that when it hits you, you're like, wow. You don't feel like you ever have the strength to, to get through it. But you know what? If you're obedient to God, uh, you're already prepared for what is to come. Number four, personal transformation or edification. Now, for those of you who aren't married and you're looking for a spouse, <laughs> You know, you may be like, I need to fast for my spouse. <laughs> Send me my spouse. I'm ready, you know, like I'm ready. But the thing about fasting is oftentimes God doesn't necessarily do what you want him to do, but he prepares you for what you need to. So like he may not send you a spouse, but he's going to prepare you to be the spouse that you need to be. Does that make sense? Uh, he may not necessarily transform your situation, but he's going to prepare you for your situation. When Paul asked three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed from him, God didn't take it away. He, he, uh, he changed him, his, uh, he transformed him personally. He edified him in that. So that's four. Number five, to break sinful strongholds or addictions. Um, God will change what you're hungry for. Okay, if you have, anybody knows, if you've been around anybody that has an addiction to something, and I think all of us probably have been addicted to something in our life at some point, that's not something you can just give up. Uh, when you crave those things, oftentimes you submit to those cravings. But in fasting, God begins to change your cravings. If you truly want to see something broken, an addiction uh, taken care of, fasting is one way to do it. In Mark chapter 9, there's a story of Jesus being on uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are with him. And y'all know when he comes down from the mountain, he finds his disciples uh, there. And there's this boy that's possessed by a demon. And they were praying for him. They couldn't cast the demon out. And they asked Jesus, hey, can you do it? He's like, yeah, of course, right? <laughs> cast the demon out. 
And later they get with Jesus and like, why couldn't we cast that demon out? And Mark chapter nine, verse 29 says, this kind can only come out through prayer. And a lot of versions add and fasting. And, you know, we can argue all day whether fasting should be in there. I think it should. Um, But this kind implies that there's different kinds. You're not going to get hit with the same kind of thing in life. And certain things require us to do certain other things. And in this example, Jesus tells us to pray and fast. And so if you really want to see a stronghold or addiction broken in your life, fasting is one way to do it. Number six, praise team can go ahead and come back. Um, To hear God or get divine direction. Uh, When we fast, what we're saying is we're tuning our ear to hear the voice of God more clearly. You want to talk about pride? Pride is people saying, I don't need to fast because I already know. Pride is assuming you know what to do in all situations because you're older or because you have experience or because you've been a Christian forever X amount of years or you know this amount of scripture. That's pride. A humble person postures themselves, takes time to pray, takes time to, to, uh, fasting is a humbling thing, especially for Americans, right? We have enough money to eat, you know, what we want. If anybody in this room, I'm confident, could probably go out and afford one meal at a restaurant of their choice. Maybe not Ruth Chris, but, you know, pretty much, like, we could if we really wanted to. But to say no, that's a whole different story, right? Um, but it's in that that we, we began to uh, tear away things in our life and make room for God to move more clearly and us to hear him more clearly. Number seven, miracles. Fasting is a way of ex- expectation of miracles. Uh, we see that with Esther, the story of Esther, whenever the whole Jewish race was about to get wiped out. And she called a fast for all the people. Hey, look, God, what? If you don't act, our people will be destroyed. And because of Esther stepping up and because the people humbled themselves, God delivered them. God doesn't owe you anything. Remember that. He don't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you a miracle. But it is one way to get God's attention. Sometimes God will move when we do what he says in scripture. And this is one thing he's told us to do. The last thing, and I'll end here, is uh, unity in the body of Christ. This is like the corporate fast. Uh, We see that in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 to 23. But a corporate fast is whenever we believe for a corporate miracle. The church, the body of Christ, is looking for God to do something. This is um, a a sense, when, when you get to this point, you know that you are starting to become mature in the faith because you're not just asking for things for yourself. You're asking for things uh, for the betterment of the whole. Maybe the pastor has a vision or maybe the board of this church has a vision or maybe the city of Tuscaloosa has a vision and you're putting your own desires and your own things to the side and saying, I'm gonna fast for that actually. That may not be my vision, but it's the vision of the church, not church, but the body of Christ's church. And what that does is it brings unity. You know, we did a Daniel fast earlier this month, 10 days. It was hard. Man, it was hard. 
Sometimes it's harder to have choices, a limited amount of choices, than to just go without anything. <laughs> you know, if you know you can't eat, it's like, you kind of feel, it's like whatever. But like when you can only eat like fruit and vegetables and organic and like nothing, you know, dairy and nothing, no meat and all this stuff is kind of like, ugh, do I really have to eat broccoli again? Do I really have to eat this? You know, but it's in fasts like that when we're saying no, that we create a discipline within our spiritual walk where we allow the Lord to speak more clearly to us and it brings unity. One thing that we had, we had a group me where we would text each other every day. Somebody sending scripture, sending a worship video, talking about uh, what the Lord is speaking to them or what the Lord did in their life. That brings unity in the body of Christ. Testimonies came out of this fast that we just did. Um, you know, where we see God moving on people's health or moving on their prayers. And so some of us in the room maybe have never fasted or haven't in a long time. My goal this morning, the so what of this morning is I want to, I want you to consider what you can give up. And I want you to consider telling yourself no every single day to something. I think we, you know, ideally we should all fast every week, at least once. But if not every week, maybe every month. If not every month, then maybe do a quarterly thing at least. See what God wants to do in your life and in the life of the church. Because what is fasting about? Fasting is about becoming more like Jesus and less like our flesh. John 3.30 says, He must increase, I must decrease. The reason why we give in to our cravings so much is because we always tell ourselves yes. But the way to combat the things of this world that pull us away from the things of God, the way that we combat the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is allowing the Holy Spirit inside of us to give us strength. Allowing the Holy Spirit inside of us to create discipline. In Matthew 24, I'm sorry, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and he must follow me. You can stand with me today. For the next couple of minutes, we'll sing a worship song. Maybe the Holy Spirit was working on your heart during this message this morning. If there's something you know you need to lay down, you need to get rid of in your life, there's probably something in your life that you're hanging on to. And that's the reason why God can't use you the way he wants to use you. I wanna uh, just invite you to come down here maybe for a few minutes and just lay it down before the Lord. Obviously you're not physically like pulling it out of your body and like laying it down, but like coming down to an altar is just like an act of faith is what it is. Um, And saying, Lord, purify me. Lord, I don't want to be some goody two shoes just so I can say I'm good or I'm following all the commands or whatever. I want to hear your voice. I want to be more like you. The reason why I want to get rid of this stuff is because I want to be used by you. And so this morning is going to be that morning. And then I'll come up here and dismiss us in just a few minutes. Hopefully, and this is the last thing I'll say before we pray. But uh, just I do want to um, invite you all, if you hang around, would love for you guys to fellowship with us afterwards with this lunch. 
All the money is going to be going to our youth missions. If you have any donation base, love for you to stick around. But for now, don't focus on the food. Focus on what the Lord has for us. Amen. So let's take some time and go before the Lord.